Welcome back to Grid Forward Chats. At the Grid Forward Virtual Summit, Bryce talked with Department of Energy Deputy Secretary David Turk. You'll hear over the course of this conversation about U.S. domestic energy policy, what lessons we're going to be applying from COP26, where some of the infrastructure bill money is going to go, as well as what the future of the energy industry as a whole is going to look like in the near future and beyond. Deputy Secretary, prior to the nomination as Deputy Secretary, uh, David, you were the Deputy Executive Director of IEA, and you were working on international issues around energy transition. During the Obama administration, you spearheaded clean energy innovation efforts. You had some stints at National Security Council. Uh, You held the title of Deputy Special Envoy for Climate Change. You worked on both sides of Congress. Clearly, we're very fortunate to have you in your role. Uh, Thanks for being with us today. Maybe you can just share some opening remarks and perspectives on what the administration is prioritizing around advancing the grid. Well, thanks. uh, Thanks, Bryce, for that very kind introduction. I feel like I've lost hair at each of those jobs. Um, So I had hair at one point, but I had some phenomenal jobs and, uh, you know, some challenges along the way, uh, way as well with different, uh, different pieces of that. But thanks for uh, having me here and really looking forward to a, a good back and forth. It's great to focus on the Pacific Northwest and Washington State. I had a chance to uh, sit down with uh, Governor Inslee last week at the COP. He happened to be there at the same time and Governor Brown from Oregon as well. And just some phenomenal leaders. Uh, and of course, Chairman Wyden, who's one of my favorite favorite senators, not only because he's chair of the very powerful finance committee, but he's also a, a basketball player. And I'm a basketball player as well. So great to catch the uh, tail end of that uh, conversation. I think everyone hopefully at this point has seen the uh, incredibly ambitious goals that this administration has. Uh, uh, 50 to 52 percent carbon reductions, uh, greenhouse gas reductions by 2030, 2035, 100 percent clean electricity, and then of course 2050 net zero overall. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say just how critical the grid is for all of that, not only for the 2035, but as we electrify further parts of our economy, making sure we've got the grid that we need to have going forward. And uh, as I'm sure we'll get into uh, the bipartisan bill that was just passed and then the reconciliation bill that's pending and Chairman Wyden and working with, uh, with others working on is going to be such a critical part certainly at the Department of Energy and the U.S. government to be a more helpful partner for states, for locals, for utilities, for the full range of actors if we're going to be successful uh, along these lines. It's not just the climate mitigation piece. Of course, we've got to work on the climate uh, resilience piece, right? As we've seen with heat waves and uh, you know hurricanes and other kinds of things, wildfires. Uh, we have cyber attacks that we've got to be focused on. We've got Existing assets like hydropower, which is such an important current part of our mix, but droughts, of course, impacting that kind of piece to it as well. And we have to not only, as the president has said eloquently, and I was uh, happened to be fortunate enough to be at the uh, bill signing yesterday, and he said this again, we can't just build back, we've got to build back better. And that better is incredibly important, and I think especially resonant with the grid piece. So we've got to have flexibility in the grid. We've got to have resiliency in the grid. We've got to have storage and other assets in the grid, diverse energy sources uh, as well. I'm happy to get into all of that, but uh, thanks again, Bryce, for, uh, for having me here today. You teed up pretty much everything we're going to talk about. Of course, yesterday was the signing. So the bill became a law, as we all remember those steps from our our childhood uh, education. Um, 
So what are some of the highlights for the bipartisan infrastructure bill to you? Maybe covering resilience, flexibility, security, kind of the key aspects of, of adding grid functionality. Well, I have to just put a plug first in, Bryce, for the schoolhouse rocks, uh, how a bill becomes a law. If anybody who's not quite our age has uh, not had a chance to see that, I'm sure it's on uh, YouTube somewhere. It's a very entertaining piece of American history on that end. So there's a huge amount for grids and a lot that the Department of Energy will be asked to administer uh, going forward. Just to give a few pieces of it, uh, 11 billion, that's a billion with a B. This is a lot of money uh, in grants for states, tribes, utilities to boost grid resilience. Resilience is such an important part, and I don't need to tell those folks who are uh, dealing with grids day in and day out. Resilience from extreme weather, resilience from uh, cyber attacks. So that's 11 billion along those lines. There's an additional 2.5 billion for transmission facilitation program uh, to develop nationally significant uh, transmission lines. And this is an important uh, deal. It's something that we've not always been successful in this country to build out those transmission lines that we need to, to connect regions, to have the resilience that we need to. And uh, and we'll certainly uh, look to do everything that we can to be helpful on that end. We've got 3 billion expansion for the smart grid investment matching grant program, which again helps focus on the flexibility of the grid, the transmission and the distribution, the microgrids, the energy storage, their specific cybersecurity programs. Uh, This is really a historic piece of legislation uh, that's been passed, uh, including and especially uh, on the grids is such a key, key part of our infrastructure. So how would you categorize it? Uh, d- generational, decades, uh, unprecedented in any level of looking at our investments? I mean, I've heard the president talk about it's the, the biggest investment in uh, transportation, I think he said 70 years. I don't know what the what the comparison is in the energy sector. So uh, maybe come at it this way. Uh, this is by far the biggest thing, especially when you add in the companion reconciliation piece. And the two really dovetail uh, incredibly well together. They're two puzzle pieces that fit together, uh, at least has been contemplated so far. Uh, this is the biggest thing to happen to the Department of Energy since the Department of Energy was created. Hmm. Which uh, was, sorry for my history. Yeah, 1970s. So uh, not too long ago, but that's still, for those of us, again, who are a little older, that's a significant amount of years uh, that it's been around. And it's a huge, huge deal. Between the two bills, it's about $102 billion of funding and support that we would administer. Significant portion, as I've already mentioned on the grid, but looking at hydrogen, looking at uh, weatherization programs, a full range of other key Technologies, EVs will be helpful with, along with the Department of Transportation building out the EV chargers as well. So this is 800 billion total between the two bills on climate action and clean energy. That is a historic amount of investment. And the part I'm particularly excited about, having been at the climate conference last week, is great to have pledges. And the U.S., as I mentioned, has very significant and ambitious goals in 2030, 2035, 2050. And some countries have 2060 or even 2070 goals. India putting a net zero goal on the table from a 2070 perspective. Uh, Even more important to do the near-term action. And uh, this funding, along with what we already are doing from the Department of Energy side, this year, next year, the year after, this is action-oriented. This is real-world focused with the tax incentives and other things that Chairman Wyden is working on. This is a big deal for the here and now and for the near term. 
And that's the part I'm particularly excited about. And uh, it really is historic. I think once in a generation, uh, opportunity probably understates just how important it is. Well, that's a great categorization. Did you get to cover the aspects of the reconciliation package that you wanted to highlight there in that overview? I mean, I heard you sprinkling them in. Yeah, there's a ton order. of stuff in the reconciliation piece as well. When it comes to grid, it's uh, $3 billion for transmission, additional transmission for new lines, upgrading infrastructure. Uh, it's $110 billion overall for clean energy manufacturing uh, and supply chains. That is a big, big deal from a clean energy perspective, but from a jobs competitive perspective, again, a resilience perspective, 40 million in grants to create, expand, or improve wholesale electricity markets. And then you talk about all the tax incentives, including the uh, investment tax credit for transmission. So there's an awful lot in there. And again, from my perspective, it really fits as a puzzle piece with what's already passed in the bipartisan piece uh, as well. Uh, in part due to the terrific leadership of folks like Chairman Wyden and many others uh, who have been putting these together. And we've been happy to uh, be active as parts of those conversations and providing technical assistance and making sure that uh, we take full advantage of this uh, once in a generation opportunity. But we got to cover resiliency uh, between the fires and heat waves and the cold snaps and the pipeline attacks and the hurricanes. It's just such a critical topic. The senator got to cover uh, his work on that. How is DOE collaborating and accelerating its work um, with the industry to to really tackle grid reliability and grid resiliency? Well, I think we all have to acknowledge, and those who work in the real world and these issues day in and day out, uh, I know this is preaching to the choir, is just how important resilience is. And doing it from the get-go, building it in by design, whether you're talking cybersecurity, whether you're dealing with the climate challenges we're already facing and the additional climate weather-related challenges we're expecting to face, even if we get our acts together on the mitigation side, we're going to have increasing challenges for many years on the weather uh, and disaster side of, uh, side of things. I was actually sitting next to the uh, FEMA administrator uh, yesterday at the bill signing over at the South Lawn at the White House and had a really good chance to talk to her about just how important it is not only to recover, uh, obviously FEMA needs to focus on that and that's what FEMA gets all the attention for, but we were having a conversation on resilience and having a conversation on doing the kinds of things you need to on the front end uh, or as you're recovering so you don't have to go through the same exercise uh, every five years or 10 years when a new hurricane comes through. So whether that's undergrounding, whether that's a full range of uh, technological solutions along those lines. Uh, and I think one of the things we're particularly focused on with resilience, but more broadly, is the importance of partnerships and public-private partnerships uh, as well. And uh, these bills give the uh, U.S. government, the Department of Energy, such an enhanced opportunity and resources and authorities to be a better partner. And we've been trying to do that all along. Uh, the president has met twice now with Western governors, utilities on wildfires, committing new resources to fire prevention, to firefighters. Our Office of Electricity held a wildfire seminar in April of 2021 to try to do whatever we can uh, do from that end. And the amount of discussions with utilities, with other key folks, uh, and it's going to really require that partnership. A colleague of mine, the head of our CSER office, which deals with cybersecurity and other responses, Kapush Kumar, who comes from the industry at Southern Cal Edison, uh, had a comment of extreme partnership. We've got to have partnerships that aren't just paper partnerships that we sign something and feel good about, 
Uh, it's got to be extreme partnerships where we're actually doing the hard work, doing the work, listening to each other, collaborating. And um, I think that's just absolutely key on the resilience front in particular. Yeah, I know a through line in the administration is a focus on energy justice and making sure that our most vulnerable communities see the true benefits from these grid enhancing deployments. How will grid modernization efforts that the agency is working on help improve things like energy access and lower energy burden for these vulnerable communities? Well, this is something that's a huge, huge focus for this administration, something the president cares about, something our secretary cares about, I care about. And we're trying to make sure that uh, environmental justice equity is uh, front and center and at the heart of everything that we're doing, including on the grid side of things. And we all know that it's uh, vulnerable communities who are hit the hardest when power uh, goes out. Uh, Low-income households spending up to 30% of their paychecks on energy, which is just ridiculous. Uh, We've got to really make sure that uh, everyone has access to affordable, reliable, resilient uh, energy, including and especially as electricity becomes even more important, as more of us uh, use electricity for transportation uh, with electric vehicles and certainly transit and other kinds of kinds of pieces uh, as well on that front. So we're putting a lot of focus on this. We brought in a terrific colleague here at the Department of Energy, Shalanda Baker, uh, who's been working on these issues for years and years to make sure that we come up with a system that, again, infuses everything that we're doing throughout our various offices and certainly on the grid and other kinds of uh, uh, systems when it comes to transmission, distribution, et cetera. Uh, Energy storage is a big deal and can be a big part of the uh, equation. We've got an energy storage for social equity initiative to really try to uh, make sure that we're taking advantage of that technology or that suite of technologies uh, on this front. And we've just got to work it. We've got to work it day in and day out. Uh, And again, in partnership with communities and partnership with uh, uh, the folks that are doing a lot of this work on the ground to support them, to empower them, and to uh, to do right by uh, how we should be doing these things. Can we talk a little bit around accelerating innovation? That's a core area that we're interested in and really at the core of the reason for the lab's existence. And, and often it's uh, the labs are described as the crown jewel of, of the uh, various investments in, in the federal government. How can the work of the agency and the labs find its way to the industry? How can it make commercial impact and how can it not just be great fundamental research, but truly revolutionize the way that our systems operate? Well, this is, uh, I think, one of the most important things facing our department and our labs uh, to make sure that we get this right. I was actually just talking right before this conversation with uh, Jerry Richmond, who's our new Undersecretary for Science and Energy, who's just a phenomenal colleague, and we're so excited that she's now on board, fully confirmed. This is her third or fourth day, I think, uh, actually in the job. And we're just talking about this exact issue. Uh, We need to take advantage of our 17 national labs. It is a crown jewel uh, for the American taxpayers and the American citizens more broadly. And frankly, for the world, Uh, we do innovation like no one does innovation. And we've got to focus on the basic science, right? We've got to do the basic science that is the foundation uh, and fountain for which everything flows from there. Uh, but we also have to focus on the applied science. We have to take the ideas that come from basic, basic science, uh, go from the labs out into the real world, and then go to markets at scale. And we've got to have uh, a, a focus on that all along the way and learning 
back and forth, right? It's not a linear process. Innovation is not a linear process. We have to have feedback cycles. So as new materials get developed, some will work, some won't work. Feed that back into the folks doing some of the basic science and some of the research so that we can have the new materials that we need for whether it's battery technologies and chemistries or other kinds of things along those lines. So uh, we have been an innovation powerhouse, uh, certainly the Department of Energy since its creation. One thing that we're doing, uh, Bryce, that you may have heard about some other listeners is these earth shots, which are really focused on making coherent and ambitious uh, a focus on innovation and R&D for those key technologies that we need in order to get to net zero. So what are those linchpin technologies that we need to drive the cost down still significantly? So we've launched three so far. The first one was on hydrogen to drive the cost reduction down to a dollar per kilogram of hydrogen produced, clean hydrogen produced. Our second one, very relevant for this conversation, is on energy storage, long duration energy storage in particular, and driving those costs down an additional 80-90% from where they are right now using ARPA-E, using the Office of Science, using our applied uh, offices, and using our national labs and bringing a really there's a reason it's called earth shots. It does, it does call upon the, the moon shots, putting these ambitious goals on the table and having our lab researchers, our scientists, our entrepreneurs roll up the sleeves and get excited about achieving those incredibly ambitious goals. So we're trying to be ambitious and coherent at the same time. On a related topic, this is all technology that we're trying to bring to bear, but people are at the core of it. So can you talk a little bit about the jobs related aspect to this. I know the agency is hiring like crazy and I know the administration is it's in the title of the bill. It's the infrastructure investment and jobs act. Can you talk a little bit about how employment opportunities, especially as we come out of the global pandemic are impacted by these investments and focus areas? Well, thanks for bringing it up, Bryce. And um, as our secretary and our president have said it is all about the jobs and it is all about the livelihoods and the revitalization of our communities. It's very consciously part of these bills, consciously part of the strategy and what we're trying, uh, what we're trying to do, certainly in this administration. We counted up in one of President Biden's speeches that he gave on these issues not too long ago. He mentioned the word jobs, I think it was 34 times or something, uh, something along those lines, uh, and rightfully so. And nothing gets done in this world, of course, unless it's the people, uh, dedicated, passionate people. So uh, we're trying to do certainly uh, a number of things when it comes to that. One is we're trying to empower, support, and, uh, and, and really um, uh, get a sense of excitement among our people, whether it's our lab folks, whether it's our folks here at headquarters, others in the DOE enterprise about what we're trying to do and really unleash them in ways that will achieve these Earthshot goals and uh, everything else that we're putting in front of them. Two, we are hiring. If anyone's interested in working at DOE, it's a phenomenal place to work. Please send in your resumes. We're actually going to be putting a user-friendly way to, uh, to apply to various positions. We've got some flexibilities and authorities and other kinds of things to try to bring folks on quick as we spend all that money in a thoughtful, robust, but ambitious and aggressive kind of way within the two, uh, the two bills as well. And then we need to really be focused on people with a variety of skill sets and people from all across our country. This transition is not going to be successful for the long haul with the urgency, with the scale, with the pace, unless we can work with communities and workers from across the country with a variety of existing skill sets. And that is a 
huge, huge undertaking, but an absolutely critical uh, part. And these are well-paying jobs. These are good jobs. These are union jobs. Uh, it's so exciting to think about all the people who will be partners uh, in really building this clean energy, uh, clean energy economy of the future. So you were in Glasgow. Um, maybe you can share a couple of reflections, highlights, takeaways. Um, how optimistic are you for the future of our planet coming out of that? I'll, I'll just let you kind of take that where you want to, to go. Well, I had the fortune, uh, Bryce, the secretary was there the first week of the uh, COP, and I was there the second week. And the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, passed uh, right between our two visits. And so when I went there, um, I have to say it was incredibly inspiring knowing that we had uh, real credibility with the bipartisan infrastructure deal, all of the additional funding and authorities that had climate relevance in that bill, especially knowing that the next bill is coming along as well. And so it felt like we had the wind at our back. We had a lot more leverage and credibility, especially what we're going to be able to do in the near term. And so my conversations with other counterparts from a variety of different countries was uh, we all need to roll up. We all need to make the investments in the near term. Great to have those targets out 20, 30, 40, 50 years into the future. But let's focus on the near term in the real world and how we can transform, uh, transform our energy economies in ways that are good for our people, good for our economies and good for the climate as well. And I have to say that message resonated incredibly well. Uh, and it puts some countries who are not yet doing as much in the near term as they need to be doing in an uncomfortable position, which is good, so that they hopefully step up and do more because uh, everybody needs to do more. It is a global uh, global problem and it needs to be a global solution. Have you debriefed with Climate Envoy Kerry or any others that have gone there and had a sense to get a, you know, what, what's their what's their reaction to the meeting? So I've had the fortune to travel several times this year with Secretary Kerry uh, for different G20 meetings. And I was in India with him a few months ago and had a chance to uh, talk to him and his phenomenal team uh, in Glasgow and compare notes in real time uh, as the different uh, discussions and the deal was coming, uh, coming along. Uh, I think overall, there's a sense of momentum uh, and there's a sense that we need to do more. And one of the particular pieces in the, uh, the climate uh, COP decision, which I think is important, is to put the marker that uh, 2022 is when other countries who've not yet stepped up on their national, nationally determined uh, contributions in the 2030 time period need to do so. And we had a number of countries step up, including the U.S., to enhance our ambition in that medium term, but not everybody stepped up. And so 2022 will be a time where we all need to really do what we need to do in that 2030 time period. And again, do what we need to do on the investments in the near term. So uh, there's momentum, but there's a lot more that we need to do with uh, a sense of real urgency. Yeah, that would be a great place to end. But I kind of wanted to end where we started with our discussion with you all, which is around the public-private partnerships, because this isn't all government action right? There's going to be partnership with industry. So I wanted to know if you could leave us with how important is that relationship that DOE holds with utilities, tech providers, state offices, and the other stakeholders that are going to make these advancements of our greater reality? Well, it's absolutely key, Bryce, and it's a terrific way to end the conversation. What we're interested in is change in the real world and change at scale. Uh, and so what we need to do is leverage this $800 billion of funding in these two bills, the $102 billion of which goes to the Department of Energy, uh, to help be a better partner. 
and we need to be thinking, what's our hydrogen strategy? How do we build out hydrogen hubs and really have hydrogen go forward robustly? How do we build out EVs and accelerate the EV transmission, including the infrastructure, including the chargers along those lines? You look at the variety of technologies, it's going to have to be uh, entrepreneurs stepping up. There's an awful lot of money to be made in these clean energy industries of the future. Entrepreneurs, companies with huge capabilities right now in logistics, if they repurpose some of those talents, uh, again, it comes down to people. If they repurpose some of the people, some of the talents, uh, hugely influential along those lines. So what we need to do from the Department of Energy side is be an extreme partner, uh, help unleash the private sector. The private sector can make an awful lot of money. There's 23 trillion to be had uh, out there over the next decade on these uh, clean energy technologies. But to be a better partner, to be a catalyst, maybe that's the word to leave you with, to be a better catalyst to make sure that we're moving as aggressively as we need to, not only for climate benefit, uh, but also for resilience, for affordability, for reliability, to make sure everyone has the power, uh, the energy that they need to, to, uh, to, to be a part of this exciting, incredibly exciting clean energy economy of the future. Great place to end, Deputy Secretary. Thank you for your leadership on this. Thank you for all the good people there at the organization and more hopefully coming in that are going to be accelerating all this critical work. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Definitely apply. Anyone who wants to apply to the Department of Energy, we'd love to have have you on the team. So uh, thanks, Bryce. Thanks for the discussion today. 